Well, it's so good to be back. Uh, last weekend I was at our uh, church retreat. We had about 150 people there. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to listen to Stan- Sam Randall, our student ministries pastor, this did a, a phenomenal sermon. I really enjoyed listening to it, and I think it, it really would bless you if you uh, take, a, take a moment to listen to that from last week. Uh, also, just want to note that we have a semi-annual meeting today, uh, right after the uh, service, and uh, for our members, but also perhaps you're here and you just want to kind of check things out, and it's for us to kind of give uh, sort of like the uh, halftime of our fiscal year update, uh, not, only at, uh, not, not only on finances, but also on a number of things as well. Well, this morning uh, is a challenging uh, message, and it's on God, government, and me. And I think it's the first time I've actually preached on government, and it's one of the benefits uh, of going through a series like we are in First Peter that you come to a passage that you wouldn't normally choose if you did a topical uh, sermon series. And you come to uh, a passage, and it kind of jumps out, and I felt God wanted me to speak on this, and, and that's what you do as you go through a letter. And so as I'm preaching about God and government, and you have rocks in your hands, this is a dangerous this is a dangerous venue for me. I, I need a shield up here. I would just say, though, you know, just like music, we all have an opinion about politics, um, is hear me out. Uh, I spent a lot of week in study this week. Uh, great resources from Scott McKnight, great scholar that used to be at North Park University, uh, Rick Warren, John Ortberg, Douglas Moo, among others. And what I wanted to do, too, with this sermon um, it's going to be a lot of content, more content than I normally do, because I felt like I wanted to provide a comprehensive biblical view of government. I just didn't feel like, you know what, I'm going to do two or three points, have some funny illustrations, and, and that's it. I can't do that. Uh, so this is going to be a little bit different from many of the sermons I have and the number of passages, for example, in a number of points, too. And it, it, hopefully this will be something that you walk away with, that you come back to, okay? All right, let me pray. And also, I just want to encourage you uh, as well, just to be praying for me during this sermon. This is, uh, again, a challenging topic. God in heaven, we come to you uh, as a church family, and thank you for your word. And I pray uh, that we would have uh, eyes to see, hearts to be opened for what you have for us. And God, we celebrate life. We celebrate the fact that we're here, that we have breath, that we have friends and family. And God, also that we have this church family called Maple Grove Covenant Church. And for those uh, that might be new this morning, brand new, or perhaps it's been coming the last few weeks, I pray that uh, they would uh, connect and uh, feel an affinity with uh, this community that you have been putting together and uh, building and constructing over the last 31 years. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Let's turn to First Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. And if you're new this morning, we began, uh, as Katie mentioned uh, at First Peter, with a couple of sermons. One was on living stones, and I'm going to talk more during my benediction about that for dreams that you may have for 2019. But uh, we're in the midst of this, and we'll be actually uh, going through this letter from Peter, uh, one of the closest disciples of Jesus, through Sunday, March 3rd. So if you miss any of them, I encourage you to listen online. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the, the, the king as head of state. Now, king means emperor in Peter's day. Okay, he's talking about Caesar. 
for the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. And what he means by that is that you belong to God. Your allegiance is to God. You're his people. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. And there is that theme that we've been talking about, uh, family. And love the family of believers. In other words, love your church family. Fear God and respect the king. So five different times in six verses, if you count them, you can, you can circle them. King, uh, authority, officials, king, king. Five different times he mentions some sort of governmental leader, political leader. And it's remarkable uh, because when Peter is writing this, we believe he's writing this around uh, 66 A.D., that during that time was actually the worst uh, part of Emperor, uh, the Caesar Nero, and his uh, brutality on Christians. So when Peter is writing this, he's writing to Christians who have kind of escaped to the outer rim and are out there in Cappadocia and Pontus and Galatia and Asia Minor, which is like modern-day Turkey. They have fled their homes to take up residence in these foreign cities. We've talked about that because of the persecution that's happening and what Nero is doing. For example, Nero, um, in the early part of his, uh, of his leadership, he was actually, you know, like, Christians are okay, I'm just going to leave them alone. But then somewhere along the middle of his, his uh, leadership, he uh, decided, I'm going to make them a target. So, for example, uh, you can read about this, that if a couple of centurions are walking down uh, a street in the public square, and let's say they had a couple of their, their dogs, and if they saw some Christians, they would send those dogs to actually uh, ravage those Christians in broad daylight, to send a message to the other Roman citizens that Christians were not allowed in the Roman Empire during this time. And I could tell you story after story after story. The gladiator games, the Christians would be fed to the lions. A lot of us know those stories. Another one, too, is that uh, Nero would have these garden parties. And you can look this up in history, by the way. Nero would have these lavish garden parties at his mansion. And because Edison electricity hadn't shown up yet in 81, uh, uh, he needed light for them to enjoy their hors d'oeuvres and the refreshments. So what he would do, he would have his uh, soldiers string Christians up on poles, put fuel on them, and light them. And his guests, a couple hundred, would walk around the lavish garden parties enjoying uh, conversation and food, laughter. Meanwhile, Christians are being burned on the stake. Okay? That's what we're talking about. Peter's t- that's Peter's context. It's a paradox. Why in the world would he say this? I mean, it, ha- it, ha- it raises a number of questions for us. Why in the world would he say something like, honor to the emperor? It's just bizarre. Well, I think Peter, as we look at this passage, a, a parallel passage is going to be Romans chapter 13, because Romans was written eight years before Peter wrote this, and uh, Silas actually was the writer of 1 Peter, we believe, and first Peter, uh, Peter was dictating, and Silas would take the, the, the notes and, and write the letter, and Silas was a best buddies with, with Paul. Travel companion, travel companion, best buddies, and I, I think because Silas was so close to Paul that Peter probably had uh, Romans thir- uh, the book of Romans with him. So let's turn over to Romans 13. We're going to make some observations here about government. And Romans 13 is a very important uh, passage. Again, as I go through this, just hear me out, because there might be parts you're like, I don't believe that, I, 
there's no way that I'm going to do that. Um, but just hear me out. Okay, Romans 13, verse 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Interesting. Point number one in your, your teaching notes. Civil government or government is part of God's purpose for the world. Government is God's idea. It's not humanity's. Government is God's idea. Now, it's interesting that it, it, it doesn't mention any specific form of government. It doesn't say democracy, for example, because Paul and Peter, they were not living in democracy. It was, it was a dictatorship with the, the Caesars. But it doesn't say that, you know what, uh, if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to be a Republican, or you've got to be a Democrat, or what have you. It doesn't say a particular government. It just simply says uh, that government is, is uh, brought, apart, brought together as God's purpose for the world. This is under the heading of the nature of government. I'm going to talk about three main areas. The nature of government, the purpose of government, and also our role and relationship, importantly, to government. Okay? Now, as we continue on in Romans 13, let's take a look at verses 3 through 4. The authorities do not fear, for the authorities do not strike fear, excuse me, in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what's right. In other words, drive 55 miles per hour on the highway, uh, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants. Underline that phrase. That should blow your mind. You think about. In, political leader. When he says authorities, he's talking, about, he's talking about the emperors. He's talking about presidents. He's talking about anybody who's a governmental leader. They're God's servants. That's your next fill in the blank. Government leaders are servants of God. Now, obviously, we have had uh, a number of leaders who have committed a plethora of atrocities. Um, also, if you look at uh, before Paul and Peter in Israel, they had evil kings too. I mean, in our, you know, in our, in, in our country, in, in dur- during our uh, wars, Benito Mussolini, uh, Joseph Stalin, who killed 15 million Russians, for example, uh, Adolf Hitler, Idi Amin, and the list goes on. So the, the question is, are they God's servants? Why, why does uh, bad things happen with certain kind of governments, and we have those around the world. You may view our government as doing some really evil things. Here's the deal. God, God created government just like he created marriage, just like he created technology, just like he created a number of things. He meant them for good. But as humans, with whatever motives, we taint them. We actually are sinful and we cause problems. We do things that God doesn't want. And we definitely have seen that in uh, world systems and governments. And Isaiah 10 is a warning to government leaders because they have an immense responsibility. And uh, I'm just going to read this. This will be on the slide. It says this, What sorrow awaits the unjust judges. Now that means, again, people in leadership, not just judges like a judge at the court. Okay, He's talking about, again, presidents and government leaders. What sorrow awaits the unjust judges and those who issue unfair laws. In other words, you can put in parentheses, woe to them. This is emphatic. They deprive the poor of justice and deny the rights of the needy among my people. They prey on widows and take advantage of orphans. Now the widows and orphans here is sort of a metaphor. It's it's those people who are vulnerable. 
And when, when leaders and governments take advantage of them, it's wrong. It's against God's uh, design for government. What will you do when I punish you, when I send disaster upon you from a distant land? To whom will you turn for help? Where will your treasures be safe? So for a government leader or any kind of president or uh, any kind of um, emperor at that time that did not take care of the needs and the rights and the privileges, they will face God someday. And they did. And that's a warning. Now let's move into the purpose of government. So if God, if God puts a government out there and he institutes authorities and leaders, what's his purpose in doing that? I mean, some of us are like, you know, government just doesn't work. It's broken. Especially what we're experiencing right now. We've had a, a, a historic shutdown, and finally we're coming out of that for a, a temporary opening. And it just seems like it's so broken. Our government is so broken. So what is, what's the purpose of government? Well, let's take a look at uh, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Here, God talks to Noah. Noah's coming off the ark, and God makes a very important statement. He says this, If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. So I would say the first purpose of government, and one of the primary purposes, is to protect human life. It's to protect human life. And you know, in the Ten Commandments, for example, Exodus 20, 13, it simply says, You shall not murder. So for you, a, a good government is where you and I can go to sleep um, and, and feel safe because we have a government that, that oversees us and we have police force and our uh, local government that we can actually sleep with safety knowing that we're being taken care of and that our life is not at stake. The second purpose is to protect personal and property rights. We find this in Exodus 20, verses 14 through 17. Again, this is the Ten Commandments. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. In other words, don't steal somebody else's wife or husband. Don't covet other people's things. Don't take what belongs to someone else. One of the purposes of governments is actually to provide for personal and private rights. And that's a good thing. Because the Ten Commandments are very clear that there are certain things that we own, that 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 are ours, and our government ought to protect those. Next, government is there to handle disputes between people. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, Moses says this. Um, and in, and in, he is pretty much the only leader at the time. He doesn't have a lot of help. And the Israelites had grown to such a populace, um, maybe 800,000 people or so. And Moses is overwhelmed. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. But you are such a heavy load to carry. Just love that. Can you imagine me saying that on a Sunday morning? Hey, hey, Book of Covenant, you're such a heavy load to carry. <laughs> but he says this, How can I deal with your problems and your, and your bickering? And then he says, Choose some well-respected men from each tribe. And there was 12, 12 tribes who are known for their wisdom and understanding. And I will appoint them as leaders. In other words, as judges. And they were there to handle disputes. And this might be the first time in human history an actual judicial system. And they were there to decide who gets what and who did what and make sure things were done fairly and justly in society. And again, we've seen this in government where it doesn't seem that way. Yet God's design right here from Deuteronomy was that to have judges who would actually treat people fairly and handle disputes fairly. 
And that's the purpose of government, is to handle disputes. Next, another purpose of government, this is back to Romans chapter 13, verse 4, is that the authorities are God's servants, as I mentioned, sent for your good. And it says, but if you are doing wrong, in verse 4, of course you should be, you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. So the fourth purpose of a government is to punish lawbreakers. To punish lawbreakers. So we looked at the nature of government. We've looked at the purpose of government. And obviously there's a lot more I could talk about in, in this stuff, but this is kind of a, um, uh, I think enough for us uh, this morning. Next, let's talk about our role and responsibility to government. And I want to camp on this for a while. Uh, Philippians 3.20, it says this, But we are what? Citizens of heaven. It's only mentioned three times in the Bible. And that word citizen or citizenship actually is where we get our English word politics or political. Interesting. But we have to understand as Christians, we are citizens of two worlds. That we're a citizen, yes, of the country that we live in or here on earth, but we're also a citizen of heaven. And that might be a foreign concept for you, but when you say yes to Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Ephesians, you are seated in the heavenly realms. In other words, you are a citizen of heaven, that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. And that is a beautiful thing. You have a double allegiance to your country and to your God. Now, obviously the question is, how do you keep that in balance? How do you, how do you uh, remain uh, have allegiance to our country and then also have allegiance to God. And that's tricky, isn't it? That's hard. It's hard sometimes. Luke 20, verse 22 through 25, Jesus talks about this. He talks about having balance in terms of being a citizen of heaven and also being a citizen of the country or the place that you live. And the Pharisees were trying to trick Jesus and he saw through their trick trickery because they're trying to trap him um, of actually being anti-government, being anti-Roman government. And it says right here, Jesus says, show me a Roman coin. Whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. So what belongs to Caesar? Taxes, right? Taxes. Uh, What belongs to God? Your life, your loyalty, your allegiance. It's just like what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, that um, seek first the kingdom of God. So my primary obedience in your teaching notes, my primary, ob- obedience to, my primary obedience is to God. Not only a citizen of two worlds, but my obedience is primarily to God. And when a human law uh, comes into direct conflict with God's law and God's way, we have a responsibility, an allegiance to God. Because Peter, who writes these words about submitting to the king, respecting authorities, also you're going to see another set of Peter, that when it came to uh, an ordinance by the Sanhedrin, which was a ruling body in the Jewish community, that what he and John do. It's found in in, uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And the apostles have been preaching in Jerusalem. Peter and John have been preaching in the public streets. They've been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the the church, the early church is growing and it's blossoming, it's burgeoning. And they're preaching and they filled the whole city with a doctrine of Christ that that so many were believing that the Sanhedrin, 
um, got upset. And the members of the council of Sanhedrin were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, that they could see that they were ordinary men, no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right before among them, actually that was part of the controversy, is that Peter and John were able to heal a lame person. There was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men, they ask? We can't deny they performed a miraculous sign because everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. The news had spread. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak, any, speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called Peter and John back. That's what they said. Do not ever again teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, what? Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Okay? So when, when law of a government um, interferes or conflict comes into contradiction or conflict with God's law, God's way, we can disobey it. It's civil disobedience. We see this in a number of ways in the scriptures. God is our primary allegiance. He deserves our unquestioned um, obedience. And sometimes um, we have to make moral choices that are unpopular. And sometimes we have to make choices that go against the law of the land because it's in direct contradiction to what God said. For example, we've seen this in our history. Martin Luther King Jr. in the Civil Rights Movement in the 1950s and 1960s. Um, what was going on was in direct uh, contradiction to God's way, that every person is equal, uh, Galatians 3.28, and that we're to love our neighbor, and that we're to worship, for example. And MLK and um, those in his, uh, in his um, part of his, his movement uh, began um, nonviolent protests and were able to change the law. Because that, what was going on, especially the Jim Crow laws in the South, was not right. And they definitely had the footing and the biblical support to actually engage in civil disobedience. And you and I can too. Okay? But Titus uh, 3.1, Paul writes this. When it reminded people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and be ready to do whatever is good. Number three, and you're filling the blank, I am to obey the law whenever possible. I am to obey the law whenever possible. And regardless of who's president, who the congressperson is, um, whoever, whatever political party is in power, you and I, when it comes to actually respecting them, uh, for us to actually respect the office, to actually respect the position, not the personality. And that's what I think Peter and Paul are trying to get at, is that when it comes to government, sometimes we don't like the personalities, and we don't like who they are, but we are to respect the office. And that's what he's talking about. For example, soldiers. Uh, sometimes they come across a colonel or a lieutenant that has done, the, the rumor mill is they've done some really bad things, but they still salute them. Why? Because they're saluting the uniform, not the person. And Oftentimes, when it comes to government, 
we need to remember that, that we are respecting the office. It's just like our moms and dads. Sometimes some of us have stories about fathers and mothers that were just so, so cruel to us, so mean to us, and yet the Bible says honor them. And what's helped me with, around that is to honor the office of the position. And it's the same way with employees and employers. Many of you have worked for employers that you were at odds with. It doesn't mean that you remain silent, but at the same time, you still submit in respect to the office of that employer that God has placed in your life. I'm to obey the law for my own good. Romans 13:4. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right. You don't have to fear if you're keeping the law. If you're driving on 494 and you're going what, 60 miles an hour, you're okay. But if you're going 80, 85, you're going to be worried, right? When the, light, the red lights start flashing. And by the way, we have a few officers in our congregation, so uh, maybe one of these times we'll pick, they'll, they'll have to pull you over or something. That would be interesting. I'm afraid they're going to pull me over one of these times too. <laughs> but if you're a law-abiding citizen, that's the point too, is that when it comes to government, you have nothing to fear when you're doing something right, when you're actually following the law. It reminds me, it reminds me of a story uh, a guy who wrote a letter to the IRS, he had a guilty conscience. He, he cheated on his taxes and he couldn't sleep for the longest time. So he wrote, wrote a letter to the, the IRS. And right now, if that were to occur, uh, his letter probably would not be read till later on uh, in 2019 because of the number of IRS agents that are backed up because of the shutdown. That's a different story. Anyways, uh, he writes the letter. He writes the letter and he says, uh, I'm, I feel guilty. I've cheated on my taxes and I can't sleep at night. Here's $100. And then he, and he puts this. P.S. If I, can't, I still can't sleep at night, I will send the rest. <laughs> I love that. That's so good. Uh, and it's so true. <laughs> but as we look at these passages, one of the key themes, I hope you see this thread, is submission. Is submission. It's, it's, it's possible to actually go against a government that's unfair, that is in direct contradiction, perhaps, some of their laws, in direct contradiction to God's law, and still at the same time maintain a posture and an attitude of submission. And we see this all over the Bible. Daniel is a great example. Daniel is a guy who was told not to pray. And he told King Nebuchadnezzar, no chance, I'm going to keep praying. And as they lead him to the lion's den... He has a respectful, submissive attitude even as he's led in the lion's den. He's not calling them names. He's not, he's not trying to rebel and doing something towards him. But he actually has this, this amazing submissive attitude towards it. But definitely, he's standing up for God. And we can do that. Number four, we are to pray for public officials. When's the last time you or I prayed for President Trump? When's the last time you or I prayed for a House Majority Leader, or House, excuse me, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi? When's the last time you and I uh, prayed for our senators and House Representatives? When's the last time you and I prayed for our Supreme Court by name? With this 48 hours of prayer that's coming up this weekend, I encourage you to be praying for that. Again, you might, you might be like totally at odds with some of these people I just mentioned. But Scripture tells us in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3, I urge you, first of all, that all requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings 
He's talking about the emperor again. It's like, again, Paul, what are you talking about? Nero? And all those in authority. Christians should pray for their government. And also, as you and I, in our role and responsibility in our engagement in society, I think a nice, a nice uh, symbol of what that looks like is salt and light. Because salt penetrates food, doesn't it? It keeps it going from rotten, and that's why they use salt in, the, uh, uh, in ancient times. They use salt as a way to preserve food. So salt penetrates, and light penetrates. It penetrates darkness. And you and I, in small ways, the little bit of salt that we have in our lives, we can make a difference can, from keeping our society and our country from going rotten. In small little ways. And you and I can do that. God calls us to do that. To be salt and be light. And do we want, um, let me actually, before I jump into that one, number five, as Christians, I am to influence my government for good. I am to influence my government for good. To make a difference. Do we want Christians in government? Sure we do. We do. But we cannot ever confuse America or any country with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is first and foremost. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And I think many times, as, as Christians, we, we think that if we get the right political party in, in place, or if we get the right person as president, or if we get this or that, then, then things are really going to change. But the only change that happens is the change of a heart. It's the change of the heart. Because the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. And we can pass laws and we can do a number of things, and I'll, I'm all for that, by the way. But at the core of it, you and I are called to share the good news, to uh, hang out with people and share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then their heart changes. And then for us to see any change in our culture, in our world, in our country, you name it, it begins with individual lives whose hearts are changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I remember when I was in grade school, the whole controversy of uh, not allowing prayer in public school. And the, uh, the majority right uh, was uh, so against that that it was like the downfall. It was the downfall, it seemed, of, of America. But here's the deal. Whatever your view on that, I, I remember my mom telling me, Craig, you can pray anywhere you want to. You can pray anywhere. You don't need a public teacher to lead you in a prayer. So I remember in fifth grade, that you're just remembering those words from my mom. I can pray anywhere I am. I don't need a school. I don't need a teacher to tell me if I can pray or not. And I encourage our students to do that. Be praying as you're at school. Pray for your school. Pray for your teachers. Pray for your principal. God is saying that a genuine Christian is a good citizen, that we, our light is to shine and model Christ. Because when you and I respectfully... Um, uh, treat our, uh, respond to our government. Again, we may disagree. We may be really against what's going on, but I encourage you with your words and your actions that you are modeling a witness of Jesus Christ. Too often I hear words of vitriol against the president or against that party or against that person. And just remember the people around us, even our kids, as we're shouting at the TV, as we're shouting at Fox News, or we're shouting at CNN, or we're shouting at MSNBC, that you're modeling a testimony. 
And, and, and for us, yes, we can disagree civilly. Yes, definitely. You can have civil disagreement. But at the same time, you're a model of a witness for Jesus Christ. And to do it with gentleness and with respect. And God calls us to do that. He calls us to be salt and light. Let's pray. Father, we looked at a very controversial topic, one that affects us all on a daily basis. Even in the midst of of a number of problems that we have in our country, God, we give thanks for the freedom that we do have. We thank you for our democracy. God, I pray that we would help that you would help us to be men and women of godly convictions, people who will honor the authorities that you've allowed, and not for their personality, but for their position. And not only that we would honor these authorities, but we would, be, we would seek to be salt and light. God, there's issues in our society where we need to take a stand, individually and corporately. At the same time, Lord, prevent us from becoming a political church that's trying to bring in the kingdom through legislation. We know that you haven't called the church to be a government, but you called the church to be the church, the bride of Christ, and to share the good news, and to go and make disciples of all nations. Help us to keep that in focus. Help us to be good citizens so that we would silence the criticism of unbelievers and people who look at at believers as model citizens. And help us not be afraid of authorities as long as we keep the laws of the land. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everybody said... Amen. This time we receive this morning's offering. And uh, the giving of our tithes and offering is a way that we um, honor God and worship Him.